Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. If you haven't joined us before, thank you for tuning in. This is the show where we talk about early stage cannabis investing, the founders, the investors that are shaping this industry as we speak. Today's episode is with Province Brands, which has created a cannabis beer. This is not alcohol and cannabis together. This is a beer derived from the cannabis plant, so it will get you high, almost like an edible, except they have patent-pending research and a licensing agreement for a technology that helps the cannabis onset faster, hits you quicker, and it ends earlier than a normal uh, edible. What is a fascinating conversation about regulations and starting a company in Canada and launching it in the U.S., you're going to learn a lot. I hope you love it. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Thanks so much for being on the show, Duma. Really, really appreciate it. Really interesting story. I'm excited to dive in here. Uh, I'll get you started on an easy one. Uh, what is Providence Brands? Uh, I hope that's an easy one. Uh, so thank you very much for having me on this show. I, I really appreciate it. And it's an honor to be here and uh, to be participating in the podcast you guys put together. It's, it's amazing. I really enjoy it. And I hope you keep doing it. Uh, to answer your question, Province Brands is a business designed to forever change the world that we live in by introducing a very new type of product. Now, your podcast is called Investing in Cannabis. So, yes, it is a product that uses cannabis, but it's not a typical cannabis product. Uh, the types of products we make are designed not to just compete with the other products sitting on the shelf in the dispensary, but rather to compete with the $1.2 trillion alcohol industry, which is a crazy, bold thing to say. Sure is. Yeah, I think we can give that industry a run for its money because when you think about it, adult beverages is an industry which hasn't seen a lot of innovation in the past several centuries, right? Uh, you walk into a bar today, your experience is pretty much the same as if you had walked into a bar in the year 1800. Mm -hmm. and we think it's time to shake things up uh, and disrupt the adult beverages industry. So that's what we're focused on at Province Brands. I think some would argue that if it's not broke, uh, it doesn't need to be fixed. If it's not broken, it doesn't need to be fixed. Uh, but why do you think that's the most uh, kind of natural uh, market to go after. I mean, there's lots of cannabis beverages out there. Uh, there's things with coffee. I've had somatic on the show before. I've tried any number of sodas, Sprig. You know, why why alcohol and cannabis together? Why is, why is that going to be the, the winner? Well, certainly we are not going after alcohol and cannabis together. I, I've had a lot of great nights, don't get me wrong, that involve both alcohol and cannabis, but I don't think you need those two in the same product. Uh, so what we're trying to do is make what we call an alcohol killer. And the products that we create and have created at Province are designed to compete with alcohol, but to be a healthier and safer alcohol uh, alternative, right? I mean, you know, I'm sure you've had a day where after a long day at work, you think, you know, I could really use a beer. Who doesn't have days like that? Mm -hmm. But I'm sure there's something in the back of your head when you're thinking that that's like, you know, I don't really want the hangover tomorrow or, or I, I don't really want all those calories or, you know, come to think of it. I don't want the eight types of cancer that alcohol mm -hmm. causes or liver disease or heart failure or depression or dementia or yep. any of those things. You know, I mean, the, the reality is, is that alcohol 
in my mind, uh, provides tremendous benefits to our society. And I would go so far as to say that the benefits that alcohol provides far outweigh the costs, right? Alcohol brings people together. Uh, some of my closest friendships were made with people over drinks. You know, I, I don't think I would have been able to propose to the woman I love if I didn't have a, at least a half a bottle of champagne that night to get mm -hmm. me over my nerves. It, it certainly helped me close business drinks, uh, mm -hmm. you know, business deals over drinks. Uh, you know, alcohol plays such a key role in improving all of our lives. But that doesn't negate the fact that there are serious drawbacks uh, to our society, uh, to our own well-being, and to our longevity uh, that go along with these benefits that alcohol brings. So Province is about conveying a lot of those benefits without so many of the drawbacks. Let's have as much of the good as we can uh, with as few of the negatives that we can bring along with it. Uh, so that that is really our approach. And so, yes, there are cannabis beverages on the marketplace, and I think they're great. I, I personally consume them often. You know, uh, I'm a big fan of Dixie Elixirs. I'm a big fan of um, uh, House of Jane's uh, coffee. I think these are fantastic products. And I don't think that we see what we do at Province as directly competing with those products. I think instead we have our sights set on the Budweiser's, the Stella Artois of the world. And our goal is to create a product that you have to think twice. Do I want to have that bud? Do I want to have that Stella? Or should I have a province instead? Got it. So it tastes like beer, but there's no alcohol in it. There's cannabis in it instead. Take me through kind of what that experience looks like. Correct. So our first uh, round of products, uh, it's not just that they taste like beer. It's that they are beer. Okay. And when you think about uh, cannabis products, and in particular edibles and beverages, you know, there's a shorthand word that's used to describe those products. They're called infused products because in general, these are products that are something else, you know, a coffee or a soda pop or a juice that have then been infused with cannabis. And I, I think that's great. I think those are great products, but that's not what we do at Province. We actually make our products from the cannabis. So think about how you make a normal beer right? Uh, you get a bunch of barley and you ferment the carbohydrates in that barley. The barley that ferments, the carbs turn into sugar. Eventually the sugar turns into alcohol. You add a little bit of hops, some yeast, ferment it again, and you end up with a delicious beer. Now imagine doing that without the barley, mm -hmm. but doing it instead with cannabis. And we have a patent pending process to brew a beer from cannabis. Now, this is something that's never been done. Of course, uh, there are similar things that have been done that are not at all what we do, right? So you may be familiar with a, a, a wide array of quote unquote hemp beers that are available at the bar and at the liquor store. Yep. As you know, hemp is a type of cannabis, just you know, just like marijuana is a type of cannabis. Um, but these hemp beers are all made from barley or from some other type of grain, and the hemp is added in in a later stage as an additive. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I also was sent a a infused uh, with hemp vodka. Which I actually haven't tried yet, but yeah. oh, is it Shotka from um, from somewhere in Europe? Is that the one that you got? It's uh, really I'd have to look it at it again. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shakta is awesome. There's also a company in Alaska that's doing the same thing. There's there are people have been so you can infuse with cannabis. Right. And then there's other people who have you know, these are not no product like this has ever been sold uh, commercially, to my knowledge. But there are home brewers who have made beer using you know barley, as I described. But instead of adding the hops, they're adding uh, cannabis flour, usually marijuana flour mm-hmm. instead of hops, because hops and marijuana are both in the cannabaceae family and the flavoring and the the magic that hops does to turn a a a wort made from barley into a delicious beer cannabis flour marijuana flour or hemp flour can do that same magic and create a fantastic beer so so you know there have been things made before where you would substitute out the hops for marijuana flour and there have been things made before where, you know, marrow, where hemp seeds are added as flavoring to a beer. Neither of those are what we are doing. We're actually brewing from cannabis from the ground up and uh, making our beer using only three ingredients, um, you know, water, obviously. Um, uh, but aside from the water, it is just cannabis, uh, hops and brewer's yeast. That is it. And then what's the end result of that? I mean, how do you feel when you drink it? Uh, Well, you know, it depends what type of cannabis we use. So um, we are making one version of these products, uh, which is made from hemp, right? And hemp is a type of cannabis that typically will not get you intoxicated at all. And when we make this product from hemp, we leave the alcohol in the beer. Uh, so it is actually a, a normal beer that you could buy at any bar, restaurant, hotel, anywhere in the world. It's made from cannabis, but the type of cannabis it's made from is hemp, which means that it is legal for sale you know, worldwide. And, and what that does is it confers a unique and really awesome flavor uh, to the consumer. But the psychoactive ingredient in that case is just plain old alcohol, the same alcohol you get from any other beer. So you don't feel any different, except, you know, you might... Um, we might broaden the the initial appeal of that product because it's gluten-free and compared to most beers that are brewed from barley, it is lower carb uh, and lower sugars and, and lower calories. So, so you can get a great tasting beer that's you know marginally healthier for you. But I think what you were really asking about was our products that are made from marijuana. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and these are probably more exciting. Now, as I mentioned before, we would never make a product that involves both marijuana and alcohol, because you don't need both, sorry, you don't need both. So whenever we make a marijuana product, uh, we go through a process of removing the alcohol, and we do that through a reverse osmosis uh, system. And uh, and so uh, we're providing a product where the only intoxicating effects come from the cannabis. And, you know, there are certain technologies that, that we use uh, that are proprietary technologies, which allow us to make a very different type of cannabis sensation than what you might expect from a normal uh, infused product. And these relate to the uh, dose response curve of our product, which will be a lot closer to the dose response curve of alcohol than standard marijuana. Yeah, unpack that a little bit, what you mean by uh, the dose curve. Well, so dose response curve has two parts, right? Onset time and duration of effect. And uh, we can make it so that our our marijuana products have an onset time as fast as alcohol, which is a really important thing because 
you know, a lot of these marijuana beverages that are on the market today, when you consume them, you won't feel the effect for an hour or an hour and a half, which is kind of crazy. It's yeah. like you go to your business drinks and you don't feel anything until you're driving home. You know, I just, I'm surprised that marijuana beverages sell as well as they do, given that it takes an hour, an hour or to an hour and a half to hit you. And the reason for that is because the way your body processes uh, edible or, you know, beverage form marijuana is different from the way your body processes uh, smoked marijuana, right? When you consume smoked marijuana, you are, uh, you know, you're, you're getting the, the, the metabolites of the cannabis directly into your brain very quickly. Uh, when yeah, it hits you almost immediately, yeah, five minutes or less, you're feeling the buzz. But when you consume uh, orally and it gets and it's absorbed, you know, as an edible, it is not absorbed into your bloodstream until it hits your lower intestine. And even then it's got to pass through your liver uh, before it gets into your brain and you can feel the effect. So that, that has two consequences. One of the consequences is a delayed onset time, meaning it could, you know, depending on how fast your metabolism is and if you got food in your stomach and all this, uh, it could take, you know, an hour to an hour and a half to feel the effects. Um, and then when you do feel the effects, it's a different set of metabolites than you would get if you uh, if you smoked marijuana. So it's a different feeling. And, you know, you've heard people talk about how edibles are this body high. It's a different type of a feeling. And some people love it, but the majority of people seem, you know, in my experience at least, to prefer the, uh, the smoked marijuana sensation over the edible sensation. So an offshoot of our ability to shorten that onset time is uh, an ability to um, to deliver a sensation that is more like that smoking weed sensation and less like the typical eating marijuana sensation. Uh, and how do you do that? How do you speed that up? There are a lot of ways that this can be achieved. Uh, you know, we are um, basically using a, a proprietary technology that was, uh, in this case, a license from someone else. Now, Province is built on four novel technologies. Uh, three of them are technologies that we have developed ourselves and for which we either are patent pending or will soon be seeking patent protection. Uh, this fourth one is, is a licensed deal. And the reason we're licensing from another party is that you know, we felt there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. If there are people already doing this, no point in, in delaying our time to market by trying to figure out a way to do it ourselves, rather pay a fair license fee and get to market as quickly as we can. So we um, you know, did a pretty robust trial where we, we ordered and, and, and arranged to try three of the more popular, um, you know, they call them accelerants, three of the more popular accelerants that are out there that people are using with cannabis or which are used in the pharmaceutical industry um, for lipophilic compounds. And we chose the one that worked the best for us, but we are always um, looking for uh, other alternatives. And to the extent, you know, recently someone brought a new um, technology uh, to our attention and we're trying that as well. And if it's better than what we're using, we could switch. So the onset happens faster, um, but do you, the effects last as long as a edible would typically? Well, we have control over that. Uh, so for our products, uh, we will, in most cases, offer two versions. Uh, we will offer what we call a long haul version of the product, uh, which will keep you intoxicated 
for as long as you would normally be intoxicated with a standard cannabis beverage. Uh, so what do I mean by that? I, you know, as I mentioned, when cannabis is processed through uh, your liver, you create different metabolites. And as an offshoot of that, it's not uncommon for someone who consumes an edible to be high for, you know, as much as six hours. Uh, it's a long time. Yep. And it's not, that's not really in concert with the way that we like to consume psychoactives. You know, if you drink a cup of coffee, you're not buzzed or jittery for six hours, right? It goes away pretty quickly. If you, if you smoke a cigarette, you know, you're not feeling that, that feeling for six hours, you, it goes away pretty quickly. If you get a drink at a bar, you're really happy that you're not drunk for six hours because at some point you got to drive home and the bartender is really happy too, because then you'd never buy another drink, yeah, right? Totally. So, so we will offer a long haul version of our product which is just like every other cannabis beverage. But the standard, our version of regular, the non-long haul version, uh, will keep you intoxicated for a shorter period of time for just as long as you would be intoxicated uh, if you uh, drank a, a, a beer, for example, an alcohol beer. Uh, so uh, this is novel technology. It's pretty amazing stuff. And it is something that we uh, will in the future be licensing to other companies who are making edibles uh, or other similar products that want to deliver a shorter duration of effect. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's talk about sort of the elephant in the room here, which is regulation. Um, I understand that there's no alcohol in some of these products, but you are still brewing beers. Where does that put you on the legal landscape? I mean, having an infused beer that doesn't have alcohol, but has cannabis in it, you know, how does that all come together? Uh, Right now, a lot of this is, well, we're a Canadian company, right? So, um, mm -hmm. and our, our primary objective is to be the first and the best uh, beverage company to uh, target the Canadian market. Uh, and up here, there are no regulations on beverages yet. It's going to be a while until these regulations are drafted. And uh, as a result, uh, we have no idea. <laughs> and it is certainly possible that products like ours, um, you know, in the infinite wisdom of the Canadian government, they could deem that our products should not be allowed. And we will have to fight that and do everything we can uh, to show uh, the regulators that these products are safer and healthier than alcohol. And, uh, and are the best alternative to alcohol for someone who enjoys uh, drinking alcohol, right? And so, so I mean, it's, it's a pretty clear case. And I think when right is on your side, uh, you persevere in the end. But, but it, you know, it obviously could be a rocky ride. And that's something that, that we're very well prepared for. And that does not prevent us from selling our products in other markets where they are currently legal. Uh, so there are about 30 countries around the world where this product would not be treated any differently than a standard marijuana beverage. I mean, the fact that it, it, it is an alcohol-free beer effectively made from cannabis uh, does not change the way that it is um, the, the way that it is regulated in terms of the regulation of medical marijuana uh, mm -hmm. or the regulation of recreational marijuana in the very few places where recreational marijuana is legal. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, to the extent that there are certain regulations relating to brewing and fermenting uh, and creating alcohol, those regulations are placed upon the brewery facility, which will be here in Canada, and we will be compliant um, uh, with all of those regulations. But for example, if we were to export to Slovenia 
or you know Czech Republic or Croatia, the product's made here, and as long as it meets the requirement for importing of medical marijuana, uh, it is something we would be able to import, and it would be treated no differently than a marijuana beverage in those countries. Yeah, I think, uh, look, the regulation battle, no matter what kind of cannabis company you have, is, is a little bit of an uphill battle. I think if you look historically, uh, regulators are not big fans of combining substances. So alcohol and caffeine, or, you know, they're considering, at least in California, with the reg, uh, regs doing away with caffeine uh, and cannabis, which is an issue for a number of, uh, of coffee companies out there. Um, I understand the distinction how do you convince regulators in all different territories, I mean, you're trying to be a global brand, that it is safer than alcohol or, or that it's no different? I mean, uh, what, what's that presentation look like? You know, how does that process go down? Well, I, I, I think it's part of the challenge, but it's, you know, it's a pretty easy thing to do, right? You say, look, your country has a health problem, and that health problem is alcohol. And most of those people who enjoy alcohol are not gonna go outside and roll themselves a joint. It's just not how they think, it's not how they roll. And these are people who have acquired a taste for alcohol, so it's a lot less likely that they're gonna go out and buy a marijuana soda or a marijuana juice. But this is a way uh, with an alcohol-free product to target those same folks who we know enjoy alcohol and give them a healthier experience so they can live a healthier, longer life. And there's a lot of support for this type of an argument, not the least of which is, um, are you familiar with a gentleman named Dr. David Nutt? Uh, I've heard the name, but remind us. Yeah. He is the, uh, he was a drug czar of the United Kingdom for quite some time. And uh, when he was, when he first took the position, you know, his job was to wage the war on drugs, right? And so he wanted to know, hey, what's the worst drug? Is it heroin? Is it crystal meth? Is it, you know, bath salts? And uh, he commissioned a, a very rigorous study to examine the harm to individuals and society of the various narcotics and when the results came in the the most harmful narcotic overwhelmingly was none of those that you might expect but was in fact alcohol and you know oh, there's no one believed it and you know what's going on here and this is in britain where they drink a lot of booze and so he actually repeated the study a second time uh and with much more stringent criteria and even after the second study it was still quite clear that alcohol was was much more harmful for individuals and society than heroin or crystal meth or, or many of these, uh, you know, of, of these narcotics. And, you know, the results were published in The Lancet and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a widely known study. So there's, you know, look, I'm not saying you shouldn't drink. I, I love drinking. Uh, I think alcohol is great. I think it has its place. Uh, but I think from a public health perspective, there's there's a, a substantial amount of evidence that our products are better uh, for uh, people compared to alcohol. Not that either of them are good, but you, if you're a, a regulator, you'd rather have our people, you'd rather have your, your citizens, um, you know, consuming a, 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 an alcohol-free beer uh, that intoxicates them using cannabis than you would have them consume, than you'd rather have them consuming an alcohol beer. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think actually uh, listening to you, maybe the, the harder sell is actually to consumers to convince them sort of the market education here that, look, this is going to get you high as if you consumed cannabis, but in a faster period of time than an edible and is going to end shorter 
than an edible as well and not have sort of the lasting negative effects, hangovers of alcohol. Is that essentially the pitch uh, aside from it being a little healthier? Yeah, yeah. that's the yeah. pitch and you and you make it sexy. And I believe that this is a, you know, that cannabis has been legal for, you know, on the grand scheme of things, a very short period of time, right? Uh, even in California or in Canada, where medical marijuana became legal, uh, you know, which were actually some of the first jurisdictions to legalize medical marijuana, it's still, you know, but just over a decade at in, in, in most. Uh, and so this is new, this is exciting. And this is a new and exciting way to consume cannabis. I think almost anyone will try it once. That's not the hard sell. The hard sell is getting them to try it again and to order it every time they walk into a dispensary. And there's no amount of education or marketing that will get them to do that second purchase. It is all about making a quality product. And that is what we spend our time, energy, and and you know that's why I'm hardly sleeping, is, uh, is trying to get this thing as good as it can be uh, so that when it hits the market, when it's on those shelves, and you can get you know, everyone to walk in and try it once, that, that it's, an, it's the thing they come back to the dispensary for. Yeah, totally. I mean, look, I'm in. So- sounds delicious. I love cannabis. Uh, there's sometimes you cannot consume cannabis, particularly in certain social situations inside of a bar or something like that. How close are we to being able to try it? You know, is it available somewhere in uh, near you in Canada today or kind of where are you in the process today? Uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll jump back to that in a second. But, you know, you said there's a lot of social situations where you can't consume cannabis. And I think there are also social situations where you could consume cannabis, but you might rather not, you know, and, and a great example of that would be like the barbecue, you know, everyone is walking around with a beer in their hand and you're the guy who likes weed, you know, do you really want to be lighting up a joint in front of all these people? Uh, you could do that if you wanted to, but you might feel more comfortable. I take pride in it, but yeah, yeah I, get, I get your point. point. Most people, right. yeah, people uh, yeah. do, right? But there's social pressure and it may seem awkward for some people. So we can be, you know, you could be a stoner who loves smoking weed every other day, but maybe there's some days where just a beverage is, is more appropriate given where you are, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but anyways, to jump back to your question, can you try it? Absolutely. Uh, you can try it. Uh, we are making batch after batch after batch. Uh, we are typically uh, brewing them or preparing them in California and Southern California. Uh, so next time I'm down there and we have a batch ready, I'll, I can reach out to you and you can give it a shot. And yeah, no, that sounds awesome. If anyone out there listening knows me and wants to uh, get on our internal tasting panels, uh, you know, fire me an email and uh, we'd love to get your feedback and and have you participate in the next trial. The trials are we're doing uh, about two a month now. Got it. That sounds very, very fun. Um, Why in L.A.? Why the testing and production in L.A. if you're based in Canada? Well, because in Canada right now, there's 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 really not a legal way for us to. uh, allow people to consume this product, right? So, you know, Canada has regulations uh, that would allow us to manufacture this product, but because it's not approved for, um, uh, you know, c- consumers in the ACMPR uh, access to cannabis for medical purposes regime, uh, regulations uh, regime in Canada, 
we couldn't give it to anyone. So there's really not a legal way for us to um, perform trials here in Canada. So there's a certain amount of work we can do in a licensed facility, you know, perfecting formulations and stuff that we can test with a, uh, you know, with laboratory equipment and such. But beyond that, there's just not a legal way to to have people uh, actually to try the product here in Canada. Uh, we're expecting that to change uh, upon the advent of recreational legalization. As I'm sure you know, Canada is about to become the first country in the world yeah, very to legalize recreational cannabis for anyone who is of age, which is, uh, you know, a, a monumental uh, achievement for Canada. I'm very excited about it. Did you expect that to happen in, in your lifetime? I mean, as a kid, I, you know, I know Canadians have always been pretty pro-cannabis, but did you expect this to happen as quickly as it has? No, I didn't expect any of that. I mean, I, I didn't see this coming. I was totally blindsided by every aspect of uh, of what's happened in the Canadian uh, market. And it's so crazy because I was living in Canada in 2012, right, in Montreal. Uh, and I was over to Buddy's house and I saw the election results come in in the United States. And I saw that uh, recreational cannabis had been legalized in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I thought, whoa. That's crazy. And at the time, we had the Harper regime in Canada, and we'd had medical marijuana in Canada forever, right? Mm-hmm. Canada was one of the first countries to legalize medical marijuana. But, you know, I was like, wow, Canada's never, I mean, keep in mind, right? There's medical cocaine too. There's been medical cocaine for sure. decades. <laughs> no country yeah. has ever yeah. legalized recreational cocaine. Right? <laughs> I don't expect them to either. Yeah. So in my mindset, I'm like, yeah, medical is fine. That's normal. But, are they ever going to legalize recreational cannabis? I didn't think so until Colorado and Washington did it. And I was like, wow, this, this is something that could only happen in the U.S. So I ended up packing up my bags and, um, and moving down to, to Colorado to start my first company in the cannabis industry. And in reality, you know, if I had stuck around in, in Canada and started something in the, uh, in the medical marijuana industry in 2012, I would be much further ahead of where I am right now. Uh, with province, but I, I didn't see it coming. You know, nobody knew that that the Trudeau would would get elected, and and certainly back then nobody knew that Trudeau would run on a promise of legalizing recreational cannabis. And there are a lot of people in Canada who suspected that that once Trudeau got elected, he would um, default on that promise. You know, politicians make all kinds of promises that that they don't keep. And the thing that was really telling, the thing that really, you know, for me. Um, made me think that this is real was uh, at the last United Nations General Assembly special session on narcotics, where, you know, Canada repeatedly uh, attempted to sort of bring up the issue, uh, saying that that they were going to legalize recreational cannabis in their country and they wanted to continue to export, uh, which is not allowed, right, under the United Nations 1961 Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs. uh, Export of medical marijuana is only permitted uh, uh, or import is only permitted in either case, export or import, if the exporting or importing country does not allow recreational marijuana. And Mm -hmm. And so they were pushing to change those rules. And I was like, okay, if they're really pushing this at the UN, like this is going to happen in Canada and it's going to be really big and and nobody is prepared for how big this is going to be. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, Deloitte did a study not too long ago where they forecast that the size 
of the recreational legal cannabis market in Canada in a few years could be $22.6 billion in just Canada alone. And that's a lot of money. Yeah, sure is. Yeah, you're so knowledgeable about the space um, and, you know, all over the world, kind of the international regulations. And I guess that's a requirement of the business you're in. Uh, but as I looked into your background, uh, you're not a first time founder, um, which is something that's sort of novel in the cannabis industry. A lot of newbies getting in. Uh, you've, you have a history in some video games and some movie making, the Assassin's Creed brand, which is very cool. Won't get into that too much, but I'm an Assassin's Creed fan. Uh, and then and then you, you were the founder of this other company, Ebu, which I don't want to go into the details, but you raised a bunch of money, $10 million, uh, quite a bit of controversy around uh, kind of the rise and fall of that. Um, but just going kind of at your second turn here, what did you learn from that experience? What do you apply? How do you apply that to, to province today? I mean, I think I learned a lot. Uh, the, the, you know, life is always about learning lessons. <laughs> mm -hmm. the, the most important thing I learned is that and you touched upon it earlier when you referred to the regulations as being the elephant in the room. Um, regulations can make operating a business in our industry very, very difficult. And the presence of certain types of regulations can increase the risk, not just for the business itself, but in particular for its investors and uh, in many cases for its founders. Uh, and I didn't understand that fully. You know, I got into a business in the United States thinking, oh yeah, it, it will be fine, but it is very complicated. Uh, you know, uh, little things like having a bank account is very, very complicated in the United States. Uh, yeah. my, my previous company, uh, we were removed from two different banks because they found out what we did. Um, but bigger than that, you know, you, it's very challenging for a marijuana company in the United States to work with world-class law firms. You know, many of the biggest law firms in the U.S. are are afraid to touch the industry. Sure. And if you can't have world-class quality legal advice, it's hard to run a world-class business. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it It's changing a little bit, but when I was in the business in the United States, it was almost impossible to work with investment banks, right? They wouldn't touch this with a 10-foot pole. Yep. It's very difficult to raise the kind of capital you need to build a world-class business when you can't get assistance from, from the capital markets or from you know finance professionals in that sort of fundraising. And uh, you know then there's the, the restrictions on interstate commerce or even export outside of the United States. And the fact that just by operating in, you know, by being a, a state licensed marijuana business, you're violating federal law. I mean, when you, any one of those things might be surmountable. You might be able to build a world-class business if only one of those was what you had against you. But uh, when you add them all up, it doesn't mean you can't make a hugely profitable company, but it means it's a lot harder mm -hmm. uh, to make a successful business. And it means that you're at a tremendous competitive disadvantage when compared to the nearly 30 other countries where, uh, you know, cannabis is federally legal in one form or another. Right. So there's many countries in the world that have legalized medical marijuana and there's there's two, right, Canada and Uruguay, that have federally legalized uh, recreational marijuana. I guess Canada is still about to legalize, but they yep. will. Uh, and and so, you know, why would you disadvantage yourself um, by operating uh, with those 
with all those strikes against you, right? And so to me, uh, when Canada announced that they would legalize recreational cannabis, it seemed like a no-brainer to come up here and, and, and create a global brand from Canada. Uh, where there is uh, opportunity to uh, to 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 operate in an unshackled manner, mm-hmm. where you're not violating any laws, where you can work with any law firm, where you can work with any investment bank, where you can easily list your company in the stock market uh, in Canada, and where you're you're just not subject to so many constraints. Why make life harder than it should be? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, from a very basic practical perspective, those were. I think that was sort of the primary lesson I learned uh, from that experience. I think secondarily, I learned a lot about sort of trust, uh, you know, being careful who to place your trust in, in this industry where a lot of people are not, uh, you know, maybe as trustworthy or as scrupulous as they might be in other industries. And I think I learned a lot also um, about, you know, what kind of, you know, about how difficult it is and how challenging it is to build a world-class team uh, and find co-founders and co-workers uh, in an industry that that is still federally illegal, right? Mm-hmm. You just don't have access to the same kind of human capital in cannabis uh, that you know in the United States that you that you might in another country uh, where cannabis is is federally legal. And aside from just the legality issue, there's always a taboo. There's always going to be a taboo, or at least for the next several years, maybe decades, there will be a taboo around cannabis and that limits uh, your talent pool. You know, when I was running a video game company, it was very easy to find people that you could collaborate with that would work, uh, you know, work night and day to help build these games. And we never had a shortage of, of great people. Um, not to say we didn't have a lot of great people at Ebu, but it, but it is not, it's not the same. Yeah, definitely. I, what do you think needs to change to get kind of the talent pool and just the level of sophistication in this industry. There certainly are some, uh, and it's clear which companies have found them and which ones haven't. But what do you think needs to happen to have, you know, that pool open up and get the, you know, the best and the brightest? Well, to be honest, uh, you know, I think I think there's so many things that need to change that I'm not sure I can list them all, but I'll, <laughs> I'll go through a couple right off the top of my head. I mean, I think that uh, we need to start seeing uh, companies, um, uh, you know, placing a higher value on their workforce and, 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 you know, paying a little bit more, right? If you're in an industry that is federally legal, you got you to gotta pony up some cash to get great people and give away equity and, and sort of make better deals. And if people realize that, that you know, you can you can find great employment at the cannabis industry and it's worth the risk. We'll see more smart people moving towards that uh, industry. But I think on the other hand, you know, the more interesting question is what does that mean for founders? You know, cause that's the perspective that I'm thinking of it as. And what I've taken it to mean starting province is that I am way, way, way more selective and have a much more rigorous a hiring process at province than I have in any of my two previous startup companies. Uh, you know, right now I go through, um, you know, easily six rounds of interviews before thinking about bringing someone onto the province team. Uh, you know, at least two written tests before someone can join the province team. Mm-hmm. And we have guidelines uh, that, that are very rigorous and designed to sort of weed out, um, you know, the, the folks who, who don't belong. and. You know, every company should have that, but I think in cannabis, as a cannabis founder, uh, you need to have even stricter 
uh, hiring policies and procedures because there's just, you know, there's there's a, a, a not a lot of great talent to uh, to 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 choose from. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, additional vetting is uh, is pretty important there. Um, so all those risks kind of considered, how do you go about? talking about this uh, this opportunity with investors i know it's a, it's easier to raise money in canada um, but still it's it's not without risk i mean how do you sort of broach some of these topics with a concerned person with a lot of places to park their capital yeah well i think uh you know the first thing i i say to investors is typically you know you should not invest in province uh or you know it's up to you but probably in any startup company unless you're willing to walk away from all of that capital mm -hmm. uh by investing you know investing in a startup is an incredibly risky thing to do yep and investing in a startup in the cannabis industry is like take that and multiply it times the power of 10. Mm -hmm. um and and in particular with province brands you have an even higher risk because we are a Canadian company developing a product that is currently not legal for sale in Canada. Now, mm -hmm. this will give us a tremendous advantage over everyone else uh, when it is legalized, if it is legalized, right? What beverages are legal in Canada, but right now they're not legal in Canada. So, you know, there's a stroke of the pen risk there that, that the Canadian government may never legalize our, our beverage. So, you know, I, I make it very clear to prospective investors that if they're getting in on this, this is money that they are, you know, maybe throwing away. This is money that is, a, that is you know, super high risk capital. But at the same time, I don't think there's a better opportunity in the world uh, than province. And if, obviously, if I believe that, I would be investing in that and investing my time in that instead of this company. I mean, you know, this is a chance not just to uh, create a, a, a another marijuana product or a marijuana product that, that may even rise to the top of the marijuana infused products industry. This is a chance to take to create an industry that could rival the 1.2 trillion dollar alcohol industry and uh, on the basis of the technology that we have created uh, the patents that we hold or, or I'm sorry the patents that we are uh, in the process of applying for or have applied for uh, you know we have uh, something magical here at province and typically uh, investors see that uh, and investors can relate to it. You know, most investors really enjoy alcohol, but almost all of them know that alcohol is not good for them. Uh, and most of them would love if a product like Province's products existed. But what I always tell them is, hey, it's never going to exist unless you're willing to help us make this dream a reality. And, uh, you know, with a pot of gold that big on the other side of the rainbow, there's a lot of folks who've been very willing to uh, to open up their checkbooks and, and get involved and help us change the world. Yeah, how is that that pitch going? I mean, I liked it. I, I think uh, you're a very calm, kind of collected guy and uh, makes sense. I, I got a, a vibe of stability from you, which is always what, what investors want to hear. Uh, but how is that going? I mean, where are you in the fundraising process? How much are you raising? Uh, fill us in there. Oh, man, it's so crazy. So like, you know, so my, my background when it comes to fundraising, I am... Um, I started Secret Agent with uh, Corey May, my, my co-founder in that company. Uh, we bootstrapped it. You know, we sold a, a movie idea to Disney and they paid us a lot of money mm -hmm. and we never had to raise any money. Uh, we were able to, to, 
you know, somehow we wasted a lot of that capital, but we were able to somehow, you know, not waste all of that, uh, that, that money that we made from that first sale and, and actually hire some smart people and, and, and start a company that lasted, uh, well, that I was involved with for 13 years. But, um, you know, so, so I didn't have a lot of experience raising capital at, at that company. I, I had basically none. And then uh, started my first company in the cannabis industry where, you know, you couldn't work with, uh, you really couldn't work with bankers and brokers and, and these sorts of folks. Uh, and, and so I learned how, I sort of taught myself how to, you know, put together a deck and go meet people and pitch and talk the talk and walk the walk and do all the stuff and get people to write you checks. And that was, that was hard. And then I came up here to Canada and, and I did start doing that, you know, making that pitch to investors. And uh, we actually raised a, a million and a quarter dollars um, with me just calling up friends and saying, hey, this is what I'm doing. Would you be interested in investing? You know, I can send you a business, we made a little business plan. We sent around, I can, you can see what we're doing. If you want to invest, invest. And that went pretty well, but in Canada, it, we have access to uh, to things you don't have access to in the United States, and so we we were able to attract the attention of um, an investment banker, uh, a company called Thought Launch Capital and Advisory, mm-hmm. and these guys are now, you know, very recently signed on to raise capital for us, uh, and this is something I've never I've never had experience with before, and it's going amazingly well, and I. Okay. I look at sort of, you know, how challenging it has been for me, you know, over over, you know, the beginning of Province, but previously with my last company in Colorado, how challenging it is to go meet these folks and 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 pitch to them and, and convince them to invest, and how relatively e- easy it is for a professional who does this for a living to raise funds for you, and uh, and so I'm I'm witnessing firsthand, um, you know, just watching sort of everything change. So since we brought these guys on board. Uh, it's been very, very, very easy to uh, to to raise the capital that we need and and get the business uh, rolling. So, it- yeah, very interesting. I've heard of a couple other companies doing that in the cannabis industry. What what are the terms of of that deal look like? I mean, are they taking a percentage of the money raised, or there's a kind of a standard consulting fee? How how does a, that relationship work? You know, I, 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 we should be very careful discussing this um, just for folks who might be located in the United States and might be considering doing something similar. Uh, you know, in the United States and in most countries, including Canada, um, there are uh, laws against paying anybody a contingent compensation yep. uh, to raise your capital for you if you're not a licensed broker dealer. Um, so, so first of all, the the arrangement that we're talking about is with licensed parties, and and that's how it should be. And you shouldn't do. Uh, you shouldn't trust anyone or work with anyone to raise money for your company if they are not appropriate license, appropriately licensed, because especially in the United States, that is illegal. Yeah, I think we could put it a little different way. There's really no such thing as a finder's fee. That's sort of a misnomer. Out there. Right. A finder's fee. If you're paying someone a finder's fee, it is only legal to do so if they're a licensed broker dealer. And if they're not, that is a, that's a crime in the United States. So, so I'll, I'll make that as a caveat. Um, you know, in the United States, there are a lot of sort of micro cap and small cap investment banks uh, who would be very happy. These are licensed broker dealer guys who would be very happy to work with cannabis companies. But for most cannabis companies, 
it would be prohibitively expensive for them to do so. And uh, and of course, there are also larger, you know, uh, mid-range and larger investment banks. But those guys would never touch a marijuana company because it's too high risk for them. But but you know, in the U.S., the, the tradition and the way the business is done is that you pay someone a, a upfront fee. And then they go out and they they would put together a deck or help you and they would raise capital for you. And then in addition to the upfront fee, they would take a piece, uh, they would take a contingent compensation, uh, usually in the form of, um, uh, you know, sort of two forms. One one is a cash compensation you would pay them upon completing the raise and secondarily an equity participation, possibly in warrants that you would pay them upon completing the raise. Uh, so uh, in Canada, it doesn't work quite that way. And if you're a Canadian company, uh, you can hire uh, a licensed uh, investment bank or broker dealer or, or fundraiser person uh, and um, you know who has the appropriate licensure and uh, they do not charge that upfront fee. So in the arrangement we have with Thought Launch, it is fully contingent. There is a, um, a, a, a cash compensation and a, um, a, a warrant coverage that they receive uh, only upon success, uh, which as a founder uh, operating in probably the most challenging industry in the world, even in Canada to raise money for or to raise money in, uh, you know, it, it, that's the only way I would take one of these deals because I, I would be very hesitant to pay someone a large upfront fee uh, to raise money for me in this industry, right? If this was tech, or like video games or something that I was familiar with and it was established and there weren't a billion reasons for an investor to say no, yeah, sure, pay the guy an upfront free. He's done it a million times, he'll, he'll raise the money for you. Mm -hmm. But in cannabis, there are so many reasons for investors to say no, it is so hard to raise capital in the cannabis industry. Uh, you know, you just, you, you know, you might be kissing that upfront free goodbye and never see it again and the guy may never raise you any money or the yep. company may never raise you any money. Yeah, that makes sense. And what what's the target? I mean, what do you hope to raise uh, through that partnership? Well, uh, we got big plans. So uh, we are um, we are building the um, the the world's first and um, uh, a state of the art cannabis brewery uh, here in Ontario, and uh, this is very expensive. Uh, so we are doing this in stages and we are not spending uh, investing capital uh, until we know there's a market for our product and being very sensible about it. Uh, but our relationship with Thought Launch covers the, right now at least the first two stages of the investment that we will need to raise in order to build the, the world's first uh, cannabis brewery. And um, uh, the first is the first tranche that they're raising for us is uh, $3.75 million, which, as I understand, is is maybe all soft circled you know I'm, I'm not as involved in this because they're the ones raising the money um or maybe all committed i'm not really sure but it's pretty close to full at this point uh and then uh, we're about to close that right now it, it may close um uh, I don't know when this will air. Maybe close by the time this airs, or shortly yeah. thereafter. Yeah. And then uh, we are going to hit a few milestones, and then they will be raising a ten million dollars for us afterwards. Got it. Got it. Soft circled. One of my favorite terms in the uh, in the investment world. Always cracks me up a bit. I don't uh, know what that means, but everyone says it. I think that means that they said I'm really interested. I think <laughs> I think that's what that means. But uh, uh, really interested in the check being in the bank. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so 
when does this vision come to fruition? I mean, when am I going to be able to anywhere in Canada or in California, you know, walk in somewhere and buy a a fast acting, short lasting cannabis beer? Uh, our this is a very difficult question to answer. I know, that's why I asked. There's a lot of regulatory <laughs> uncertainty between here and there. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, it, it, depending on a few things working out, uh, we may be able to sell in some jurisdictions uh, as early as March of uh, 2018. Uh, and that is sort of what we're looking at right now in terms of first sale of cannabis you know, actually, sorry, let me rephrase that. A first sale of marijuana products in dispensaries. Now, uh, there is another side of our business, which, as we mentioned, is um, uh, products that don't contain any marijuana, but are made from that other type of cannabis, made from hemp. <laughs> and you know, when I heard you say, "When does this come to fruition?" You know, I'll will just tell you a story that um, uh, last week I visited uh, a brew house where. Uh, the brewer who owns this brew house um, had just have, had been helping us um, uh, with some work on our alcohol product, the product that contains no marijuana, but it's made from hemp. And uh, I was there to pick up a few bottles from him. And he said, hey, do you think it's OK if we give it to some of my bartenders to try? And he had not tried it at this point. And I had not tried it at this point. So, oh, yeah, let's do it. And so we, we opened uh, we opened up two bottles and poured in poured the contents into four glasses, one for him, one for myself and one for each of two bartenders and uh, took a sip. I did a cheers and took a sip together at the same time. And I didn't say anything because I was sort of like, I don't want to influence these people. And uh, I, I watched their faces and the bartenders loved it and the brewer loved it and one of the bartenders says when are we going to get this on tap uh and uh and another one said yeah i, I would definitely buy this and then m you know moments later some customers who i guess were regular i mean not i mean almost at the same instant some customers who i guess were regulars of this bar uh said hey can we try that you know and and so they we opened another bottle poured glasses for four customers two customers across the bar said hey can i try it too we poured them two more glasses and everyone tried it and uh and the responses were were really favorable and then the um the brewer looked at it said to everyone because at this point nobody knew what they were drinking he said what do you guys think this is and the guy's like a pilsner uh and he said well let me give you a hint you have never had a beer made with these ingredients before i said oh what is it is it millet you know is it amaranth because <laughs> people guessing <laughs> all this stuff and he says no it's made from cannabis and everyone like people oh no they, like guys starting to spit it out like is this going to get me high i got a drug test tomorrow you know and like or not tomorrow it's like i gotta take drug tests for my work and it's gonna get me high and then we explain no this is not going to get you high you know <laughs> this is this yeah. is made from hemp you know another type of of cannabis and it's the yeah. first beer in the world ever brewed from cannabis and the reaction was amazing and so like to me i know it's early but like that was the moment where it came to fruition that was that was the first moment since starting this company you know um, almost a year ago where i was like oh wow you know i was like we did it you know i felt i felt i called my wife and i said i just had a beer baby 
because it's kind of like having a baby, but it was a beer instead of a beer. <laughs> that's a great story. That's a great story. Um, I think that's as a, a good a place to, to wrap up as any. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, somebody wanted to give you some money or be part of the, the testing crew, how would they get a hold of you? What's the best way to reach out? Sure. So um, we have a website, provincebrands.com. It is just a landing page. And uh, you can click on the button there and you can uh, send uh, us a message and you can specify the reason that you'd like to get a hold of us uh, by clicking the button and sending us a message. And I know with a lot of companies, they don't look at those. They get into a black hole, but we actually do uh, carefully review those every single week and we respond to people. Uh, so that's probably the best way. If awesome. you wanted to reach me awesome. specifically, I'm on LinkedIn. It's uh, Duma last name, D-O-O-M-A, last name W-E-N-D-S-C-H-U-H. Good stuff. Well, thanks so much, Duma, for sharing your story. Fascinating stuff, and I wish you all the best. And by the way, how did you get that name? What is what is Duma? Is that is that your actual name, or is that? No, a, is that I was name? born with the name Michael, and uh, I I went I grew up in Miami uh, and did my um, I received my undergraduate degree from Princeton University, and basically like most people apparently these fancy people apply to like a lot of these Ivy League schools, which I didn't know that, but uh, they have a thing in April where all the high school students can go visit all the Ivy League schools that they got into and decide okay. which one they want to go to. And I only got into Princeton, I only applied to Princeton. So I, I showed up there, I got the bus, I'm from Miami and I'm, you know, I've got, I was in a rock band, I had long hair, I had, <laughs> you know, uh, concert t-shirt, ripped up bell bottoms, like, and everyone else there was super preppy, like, you know, uh, the khaki pants and, and polo shirts and white baseball caps. And I felt so out of place. And I saw this other dude getting off the bus, black dude with dreadlocks, you know, baggy pants, looked like straight hip hop. And I, I, uh, I, I said, that's a cool dude. And I went up and I talked to him and said, hey, dude, what's your name? And he said, Kesu, right? That was his name, K-E-S-U. And he said, what's your name? And because I'm from Miami and I speak a certain way, I said, dude, Mike. And so he thought that my name was Dude Mike. And he kept calling me that and eventually kind of shortened it to Duma. And then he went on to become like one of the most popular people at, at school our year. And so everyone else just started calling me Duma. And I was like, you know what? Forget it. You're not going to win this fight. And I just it's stuck. It. It's and, stuck. Uh, it's stuck. Yeah. And that's yeah. my name. Good stuff. That's also a good story. Uh, all right, man. Well, really nice talking to you. And uh, thanks so much for sharing everything. I wish you the best. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining us. And thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we'll see you next time.